My goodness, let's just cut it. I can't watch another second of this. Wow. To be quite honest with you guys, I showed that because I just needed you to know that it existed. It's out there on YouTube, and I just feel like you needed to see that for some reason or another. I mean, I'm a little jealous of his dance moves, but not much else. And I just want to I want to pause for a sec and say thanks to our worship team for making music that doesn't make me cringe, you know? I'm so glad that what you guys do week in and week out is an awesome thing to experience and not a terrible thing that you get to experience, all right? Um, We are super glad you're here, and especially if this is your first time with us, um, when we go to our music uh, in just a little while, it's not going to be like that. It'll be much, much better. Now, the reason that we kind of showed this video and we're highlighting our worship team and all of those things is that we are on the final week of this series about worship. We've been talking about it over the last couple weeks. What is worship in church or from a biblical perspective? Why does worship look the way it does at Connect Church versus the, the traditional church that maybe you grew up in? Why do we do things the way that we do? And we're asking questions like, is there a right way to do worship? Is there a wrong way to do worship? And how do we know? By the way, there is a wrong way. You just saw it. Um, how do we know, though, How do we know what qualifies as good worship or bad worship, right worship or wrong worship? And beyond all of that, why should you care? Like really, why does it even matter? What impact does this have on your life? Not just on Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week as well. So if you haven't been with us for the past couple weeks, that's okay. We're going to catch you up to speed really quick this morning. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about worship as passion. We looked at John chapter number four. Jesus has a conversation with a woman. And he introduces this phrase, this idea that he calls true worship. And we told you that true worship, if it exists, if there is true worship, then there must also be untrue worship. There could be fake, false, empty worship that we could give God if we aren't careful. Then last week, Joshua preached and he talked about worship as creation or creativity, that God made you as a creative, whether you think of yourself that way or not. We looked at Exodus 31, and we looked at an example of a man who used his creativity as an act of worship to God. And then this week, we're going to be looking at uh, worship as our mission, or worship as submission to God might be another way to phrase it. We'll be in Matthew chapter number 26 here in just a, a couple minutes. Now, I want you to understand that worship, it encompasses so much more than just music. You do realize that. We talk about what happens up here with the musical instruments and people singing and things like that. We refer to that as worship. We call it the worship portion of our service, but that's really a a wrong way to refer to it. Jesus wouldn't walk in and talk about the music as the worship. He would talk about absolutely everything we do on Sunday, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. He would label all of that as acts of worship, or at least potential acts acts of worship. So it's more than what we do just here on Sunday mornings. I need you to understand that. It is critically important that you recognize that it's more than what you see on stage. In fact, if your only concept of worship is singing songs for 20 minutes on Sunday, you will end up with a very weak faith. You really will. Imagine if you applied that same sort of ethic to other areas of your life. Can you imagine if you only slept for 20 minutes a week? 
Some of you are like, I do that basically. I understand. But if you only slept for 20 minutes a week, you would die. You wouldn't make it. You need more than that. Imagine if you went to the gym every single Sunday afternoon for 20 minutes. That would not be enough. You would have arms like mine. You would definitely not walk around swole. You wouldn't be getting dates, you know? I mean, it just like, it wouldn't go well because that's not enough time invested in order to see any sort of real return. The same is true when it comes to our worship of God. If you only think about worship as the 20 minutes that the band is on stage and we're singing together, then you will have a weak, anemic, and quite frankly, boring faith. If you want your relationship with God to grow, if you want your spirituality to deepen, then you will have to stop making worship something you do periodically, and you'll have to start making worship something you do permanently. It won't just be a ritual that you go through for 20 minutes on Sunday morning, but it'll be a lifestyle that you live every single day of the week. Now, some of you guys, you've noticed that when you come to church on Sundays, man, it's like stuff clicks. It just makes sense. You're thinking, oh yeah, I get it. Jesus, God, my relationship. I mean, this is, it's just clicking. I get it. It makes sense. And by the time you get to Monday, you're like, it doesn't make sense anymore. It it seemed so obvious and so clear. And I I was so moved on Sunday Sunday in the theater. But now that I'm at work, I don't know. It just seems like a distant memory. And where did the feeling go? And why does it seem so far removed? removed from my daily life. Others of you, the religious people that you know in your life, they act and say things that are one way on Sunday, and then the whole rest of the week, they're a totally different person, and sometimes it's not a very nice person. And so you think to yourself, like, what's the point? What's the disconnect? Why do you show up at church on Sunday and worship God and then act like a butthead the rest of the week? Like, what is the problem here? And this morning, we're going to answer those questions. We're going to help you to understand how you can continue to have this close relationship with God throughout the week. We're going to help you to understand why some religious people seem to be one way on Sunday and a totally different way the rest of the week, and we'll help you avoid that hypocrisy. Now, the way that we're going to do that, so we're going to look at the worst day of Jesus' life. We're going to take a look at the worst day that Jesus ever experienced. It's found in Matthew chapter number 26. And when you see what Jesus went through, And how he responded, it really is going to change the way that you perceive and approach your week to come. Matthew chapter number 26, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for the verses that we're about to read. Um, This is the final 24 hours of Jesus' life. So if you know anything about uh, the life of Christ, you know that he was crucified, he was put to death by the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders of the time. So the last day was his worst for sure. And just before these verses that we're about to read happen, uh, Jesus had had the, fi- the Last Supper with his disciples. He had um, uh, shared a meal with them. He had talked with them about the kingdom of God. He was having this very intense and kind of special moment with his people. But in just a couple minutes, he's going to be betrayed by one of those disciples, a man named Judas, one of his closest friends and followers. Um, Not too long after this, he's going to be arrested for a crime that he didn't commit. 
He's going to be put through a sham trial. The verdict has already been decided, okay? They already know they're going to find him guilty and sentence him to die, but they go through the, you know, the, the process of putting him through the trial so at least they can say, oh, we did what we were supposed to do. And then after he's um, condemned to die, he's actually killed in the most humiliating and torturous way you can possibly imagine. So this is a bad day. For Jesus. This is not a happy, clappy, celebrate sort of time in his life. It's something much deeper, something much darker. So in the middle of all of those things happening, some have already happened by the time we read these verses in Matthew 26, some are to come in the next few minutes. We read this in the scripture. Then Jesus went with them, meaning his disciples, to the, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And the Bible says he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Now, this is a passage that, quite frankly, should make you a little uncomfortable. Especially as a Christian, as you read through this, you should have some questions like, what does this mean? Why is he talking to God this way? I thought he was God in the flesh. And why is he asking, you know, if he knows he's about to go to the cross and die for people's sins, why is he asking that the cup of suffering would be taken? And we're going to talk about all of those things throughout the message this morning. We're going to talk about them next week as we look at Easter. But I want you to first notice here from this passage, that the scripture says, in the moment of his distress, knowing everything that was about to happen, Jesus bowed his face to the ground. Do you see that there highlighted in the passage? That he bowed in the middle of knowing that this was his last night on earth. He's about about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be condemned to die. And then he actually will die. In the middle of that, the Bible says he takes time to bow his face to the ground. Now, this is so important. I really want you guys to understand this because I told you a couple of weeks ago that one of the New Testament words that we translate worship in the English Bible meant to kiss the hand of someone, which is kind of a weird thing for us, but we talked about how you might do that to show reverence to the king or maybe to the pope or your grandmother or something like that, right? It's a a move of intimacy, It's a move of devotion and passion to somebody else. So that's one understanding of worship in the Bible. And yet there's another word that's translated as worship. And that word literally means to bow before somebody, to put your face to the ground. It's a move of humility. It's a move of submission and awe and reverence in front of something or someone who is bigger than you are. And so I want you to notice that in the middle of all of this distress, Jesus bows to the ground in front of God. It's important that you understand that Matthew frames what's happening here as worship. 
because the worship that Jesus is about to engage in looks nothing like some of the worship we do on Sunday mornings. It certainly looked nothing like the dancey breakdance video we just saw. And if that's all you think of when the word worship comes to mind, then you won't understand how a moment like this could also be worship. Some translations of the Bible actually render this by saying Jesus went further and he worshiped, praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. So what Jesus does here, it is worship. It is an expression of his humility and devotion to almighty God. Now, there are a couple things that I want to highlight for you that I think are pretty practical and and will help you as you kind of pursue a lifestyle of worship. The first thing is that worship, this worship that Jesus um, participated in here, it didn't happen in the church temple on a particular day of the week, okay? If you read kind of the context in the history, this is a Thursday in the middle of the city, outside, in a garden, at an off time. So when Jesus wanted to worship, he didn't go seek out the church. Instead, he chose to worship when and where he was. That's really important. The second thing that I want you to kind of understand about this is that this was not happy, clappy, jumpy, dancey celebration sort of worship. There is a time for that. In fact, that's what we try to emphasize and and put forth on Sunday. We want you to have a great time. We want you to leave here encouraged and challenged and energized to go out and to change your world. But I want you to understand that that is not the only type of worship that you can engage in. This is not the only place that you can engage in worship, and that is not the only type of real worship that you can express. This was real, raw sacrifice by Jesus. And the Bible goes out of its way to point to us that this was worship. I think the principle that we can kind of gather from this, the thing that you can walk out of here and apply to your life in the coming days is that true worship can happen in any time, any place, and any circumstance. True worship, remember Jesus kind of brought forward that phrase in John 4 a couple weeks ago. True worship doesn't need to happen in church. You don't have to have a bass guitar in order to worship. It does help, but you don't have to have it in order to worship. True worship can happen anytime, any place, and in any circumstances that you might be going through. In truth, there are only two things that are really necessary for you to worship God you and God. Those are the only two things that need to be present in order for you to participate in worship. So I want you to think about that for a sec, because the Bible tells us that God is everywhere. And obviously you are everywhere that you go, duh. So basically at any moment, in any time, under any circumstances, the two things that need to be present in order for worship to happen are present. You are with God. Because true worship can happen at any time, any place, in any circumstances. Think about it like this. Everything you do in church on Sunday, you can do in the world on Monday. Everything you do here this morning, you can also do tomorrow at your office, 
You can do on Wednesday at your home. You can do it on Saturday when you're hanging out with your girls. Everything you do today, you can and should do throughout the rest of your week. You can pray any day of the week. You can serve other people at any time. You can always read scripture. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, stop by our guest center on your way out this morning. We have loads of free Bibles that we would love to give you. I mean, we won't give you loads. We'll give you one. You don't have to walk out of here with a whole stack of them, but we'll give you one. And you can read it on your own instead of waiting for me to say, now turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. You can do this at any time. You can always sing. You don't have to have the band in front of you. You can sing to God at any point you like. You can always express gratitude to God. No matter what's going on, no matter where you happen to be, you can always say, God, I'm just grateful that I woke up this morning. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the country that I live in. I'm grateful for the snow. Nobody's gonna say that, but like you could try, you could force it. You can do everything you do on Sunday on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday throughout the rest of the week. At a certain point, you don't need us to lead you in worship. At a certain point, you just need to let your own worship flow. You just need to let it loose. The Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us is he leads us in worship. Now, my wife is an incredible worship leader, but she can't compare with the Holy Spirit, you guys. The Holy Spirit is a much better worship leader. I try to be a good Bible teacher, but you know, maybe the job that I should have is not to teach you the Bible. Maybe the better job for me is to teach you to listen to God's Spirit as you read the Bible. Because one makes you dependent on me, the other makes you dependent on God. You don't need us to lead you in worship. Now, I'm not saying, okay, you don't have to come to church anymore. Just go be a Christian on your own. That's not how it works. But you are fully capable of worshiping without me telling you to open the Bible or Amber telling you to open your lips and sing. Okay. By the way, if you want to be able to read the Bible a little bit better on your own, you're like, man, I sure would like to be able to crack open the Bible and make sense out of it because right now it's just total confusion for me. Let me challenge you. We have a small group, a connect group called Bible Nerds. And the thing is, you don't have to be a Bible nerd in order to go to the Bible Nerd small group. We have Bible nerds that lead the small group and they help you to understand a little bit better. Sorry, Heidi, I just called you a nerd. That wasn't intentional. But listen, this small group is specifically designed to help help you make sense out of the Bible on your own outside of Sunday. That's the whole reason it exists. I should probably at this point also mention our Knit Night Connect group because we've talked about them now for two weeks in a row. So I should throw them in one more time just to make those ladies happy. We've got all sorts of groups that meet throughout the week and whether they're social and fun and creative or they're designed to dig into the scripture or to help you worship God better. The whole point is that you don't have to be here on Sunday in order to have a close relationship with God. One of the best things that you can do for yourself is to uncompartmentalize your life and live worship all week long. True worship can happen at any time, at any place, and in any circumstances. Let me give you another thought from the passage we read here, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
True worship also includes both actions and attitudes. Both of those have to be present for true worship to take place. Now, I've found that people tend to gravitate towards one of these at the expense of the other. So some of you think, well, as long as I do the right things, you know, I show up and I serve or I give money or I'm nice to people. And, you know, as long as I do that, then it doesn't really matter what's going on in my brain or my heart at the time because I'm doing the right thing. My actions are right. There are other people, some of you are in the theater this morning, and you're not so concerned with actions. You're constantly chasing after some sort of feeling or experience, but it never expresses itself in action. It never actually kind of demonstrates what's going on on the inside. But I want you to understand that in the middle of his distress, in the middle of one of the hardest times of his life, Jesus chose to express worship both through attitudes and actions. Let me show you. We'll start with actions for a sec. I'll give you a list. We're not going to read all these. Don't freak out. I'm not going to make you turn to the Bible passages or anything like that. But in the hour before he was arrested and condemned to die, in that one hour time, Jesus, the Bible tells us, served others by washing their feet, which if you've never read John 13 is kind of a weird thing. Maybe we'll circle back and talk about that sometime. The Bible says he ate communion with his disciples. He celebrated uh, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. He sang worship. He prayed to the Father. He read scripture. He thanked God. He witnessed. He told other people of God's goodness. All of those were actions that Jesus participated in in that hour that we just read about here in Matthew 26. And they didn't happen on Sunday in the church. They happened at off times throughout the week. Now, I could keep going, okay? This is not an exhaustive list of the ways that Jesus worshiped or the ways that we worship. But the point is that worship isn't just internal and emotional. It is external and it is physical. True worship involves your actions, not just your attitudes, not just your emotions, not just what's going on on the inside. This is why we lift our hands. This is why as Christians, we drink wine. This is why as followers of Jesus, we sing praise or we give financially. They're all tangible expressions of our worship of God. And so until... What God is doing on the inside starts to make its way into the external, the outside, the physical in your life, then you're not really participating in true worship. And until you do, you're going to be missing out on one of the most blessed parts of following Jesus. And that is living out your faith every single week. Now, not only does true worship encompass our actions, but it also encompasses our attitudes, the the emotions, the thoughts, the things that are going on in the inside. And and Jesus really, I mean, he just, he sums it up so beautifully. Um, It's difficult, it's confusing, it's hard to understand in a lot of ways. When in the garden here, He prays, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. It is one of the most beautiful things that Jesus ever says. And it's also one of the most 
confounding and hard to understand. I don't have time to kind of explain what's going on theologically here this morning. Again, we'll be talking more about this next week at Easter when we talk about how crucifying the Son of God could reconcile or restore us to God. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. But what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus' physical action of bowing down, the scripture highlights how he bows with his face to the ground, that physical action is mirrored in his attitude, in the emotion, in his heart and mind. Look at those words again. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Those are words of submission. Those are words of humility and awe and reverence to God. Jesus models surrender in these words. He relinquishes control over the outcomes in his life. I don't want my will to be done, God. I want your will to be done. That is, I don't want my plans to come to pass. I want your plans to be accomplished. Man, is that important. And is that a great attitude for us to have? How much better would your life be if you could surrender control of the outcomes in your life? If you didn't have to stress and worry about the way every little thing was going to turn out because you believed that there was a good father in heaven who was looking out for you each step of the way. If you were to believe deep down in your soul that everything that happens to you from the smallest inconvenience to the most difficult day of your life, if you could come to believe what Romans 8 tells us, that God is at work in every one of your situations so that all things will benefit both your good and his glory. If you could come to understand that, to believe that for a follower of Jesus, things can go badly, but they can never end badly. If you could really believe that, then your stress level would go from here down to here because you would no longer believe that you were in control or that you you had to stress and sweat about the way things were ultimately going to end up, but you could trust that God is going to see you through come what may. Jesus expresses this in his attitude here when he says, not my will, but your will be done. Now here's the tension. Every one of us has a will for our life. And that word will, it just means desires or plans. You have desires and plans for your life in the same way that I do. And according to this passage, apparently it's not a bad thing for you to have desires and plans for your life. That's not a bad thing. Jesus had his plans and desires for his life. But when your will conflicts with God's will, when your plans come into competition with God's plans, who do you hope will win? The answer to that question tells us what's really going on in your heart, what your attitudes are towards your heavenly father and towards worship in general. Because if you believe, oh no, I hope I get my way, then ultimately worship is all about you. And you're only using God to get the things that you hope you will get from him. But if you say, no, God, I want your will to be done in my life. I need you to show up. I need you to see me through this. Then all of a sudden, your attitude leads you towards true worship. See, Jesus went to worship. In the middle of his hardship, 
when he was really struggling, he turned to worship. Most of us go to war. We wanna fight God. Tooth and nail, we wanna struggle and fight so that our will will be done on earth instead of God's will. But if you can develop an attitude of true worship, you can say like Jesus did, God, this is what I hope would happen. But yet, nevertheless, don't want my will done. I want your will to be accomplished in this situation. And that's a healthy place to be in, you know? Because even though my will might conflict with God's will, my will can never compete with God's will. If I want my life to go one way and God wants it to go another way, who do you think's gonna win? It's not me. He's God for goodness sake. Like if he wants his plans and purposes accomplished, it's gonna happen. So you can spend years and years and years again fighting against what God is trying to do in your life or you can surrender. You can say, not my will done, but your will be done, God. See, the problem is you have a different goal for your life than God has. Truly, you and God don't want the same thing for you. And that's why there's conflict. That's why there's struggle. That's why you're fighting to get your will done all the time. Your will, my will, I'm just as guilty as this, of this as anybody, okay? Our will is to make ourselves happy. We want pleasure. We want comfort. We want the path of least resistance. My goal in life, my will for me is to be happy. And I assume God's will must be the exact same, right? No. You see, while my will is to be happy, God's will for me is to be holy. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to develop me into Christ-likeness. And what's unfortunate is that a lot of times the things that I want in life will not get me any closer to being like Jesus. Whereas I want comfort, I want ease, I want the path of least resistance. If I'm going to be holy, sometimes that takes stretching and testing. Sometimes it requires sacrifice. And so if I'm looking at God saying, God, your job, the whole reason that you exist is to make me happy, then I'm gonna end up disappointed because that's not what God is trying to accomplish in my life. And so for as long as I struggle and I fight against that, for as long as I refuse to say, God, I want your will done in my life, then I cannot truly worship him. We have to get to the point that as hard as it is, as difficult as it might be day to day, that we would say, God, I don't understand it. It's not easy for me to accept, but because I love and trust you, I want your will to be done and not mine. Got to see this play out firsthand this week. Difficult story, really is. I got a call from somebody who uh, attends this church regularly. In fact, they may be in the theater this morning. And she said to me, Dan, uh, I've got something going on and I want your advice. I already know what I'm gonna do. I know how things are gonna turn out, but I just need to talk it out with somebody. And I said, okay, cool, what's going on? And I won't share names or specific details, but essentially what she told me is this, Dan, I've had a dream for my life about my career. There was something I just, I've known for years and years and years and years that this is what I want to do. 
And so I went to school, I took on a ton of debt, I got my degree, I got hired in a related but not exactly the same field, and I've been patient. And I've been waiting for the door to open up so that I can step into the right job, the one that I have been dreaming of since I was a little girl. She said, I got an interview this week. It was at the exact place that I've always hoped to work. And during the interview, everything went well. I impressed the future boss and, you know, it seemed like it was gonna be a great fit until the very end of the interview. My boss started to tell me about a part of the job that I had never considered before. And this part of the job would require me to compromise my beliefs as a Christian. And I know, like she, of course, shared with me what this situation is. I want you guys to understand, this is like one of the most complex, difficult, deep, heart-rending decisions that she would have to make. And she said, I'm just struggling because I know what God wants me to do. And I know what I'm gonna do. But gosh, I have this will and I sure wish it could come to pass. And so I talked her through it and we had some conversation, you know, prayed all that good stuff. And in the end, she said, here's what I know. I need to honor God. I need to do what he says. I need to follow what the scripture commands me as one of Jesus' disciples, and then just trust that he's going to take care of the rest of it. She didn't use these exact words, but she said, Father, if it's possible, I wish this cup of suffering would pass from me. And yet I want your will to be done in my life instead of my will to be done. So she turned the job down. She walked away from it. She believes, and I do too, that God will honor that decision. That people who live lives of true worship, not just for 20 minutes on Sunday morning, but people whose attitudes and actions reflect a devotion and a a passion and a sense of awe towards the God of heaven. I just believe that he honors that and he'll honor her for that decision. So let me ask you two questions and I'm done. I want you to reflect for a sec. What attitude of worship do you need to develop? What attitude of worship do you need to develop? If I could just say it more directly, I could say it like this. What's going on in your life right now about which you need to say, God, I want your will to be done and not mine. In what area of your life do you need to surrender? Do you need to turn over control? Do you need to give up fighting for certain outcomes and say, God, you're sovereign, I'm not. You're all powerful, I'm not. And so I wanna trust you in this. I wanna let go and let God. What attitude of worship do you need to develop? The second question is this, what acts of worship do you need to do? How does the inward passion for God that you have? How is it expressing itself throughout the week? Now it should express itself on Sunday morning. It should express itself throughout the rest of the week as well. So what acts of worship do you need to do? Do you need to sing? Like in a moment, our band is gonna come and we're gonna sing three songs together. You'll be out of here in about 20 minutes. Do you need to just take 20 minutes and sing to God because that's new? It's something you haven't done. It's something you've been fighting against. But today you're like, look, God, I just wanna give you true worship. I wanna let what you're doing inside of me express itself in song this morning. 
Do you need to do what Joshua uh, encouraged you last week to do? And that is to create something. Is there something that God has been calling you to do, to to begin a, a project or a process in your life? Is there something that you need to create as an act of worship to God? Do you need to serve in some way? Some of you guys have been hanging out in the seats for a long time and you keep putting off joining the dream team. You keep putting off serving people in your office or around the neighborhood because it's not convenient. It's never gonna be convenient. It's not about convenience. It's about offering ourselves in true worship to God. Do you need to pray like throughout the week, not just today? Do you need to sing? Do you need to share? Do you need to invite somebody? I don't know what it is, but my guess is for every one of us, including me, there is some act of worship that God is calling us to participate in. And we've been struggling and fighting against it, but I'll just tell you, if you were to give yourself in true worship today, God might actually show up in your life.